Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode number 139 of the Get Around Podcast. My name is Jake Adnip, sitting in the host chair today with my friend James Cook. And for the first time in quite a long time, give me a drum roll, James. Harrison Beebe from 74. What's up, guys? I haven't seen you in decades. How have you been? Well, we've been good. I think our audible viewers have missed you a little bit. Well, probably, you know they can watch 7 and 4 if they miss me. Well, I can't really plug your show. Fun. I don't want to, like, do that. You know, we, we bring you on here to bring listeners to our podcast. Aww. Well, Not I'd the like other way th- around. I like to think we scratch each other's back. Of course, I can't use you guys for the Jimmy John's Sports Corner this year. That's the most disappointing part of no football. Yeah, I can't yeah. get James Cook and Jake Atnip in their Halloween costumes on TV. Well, we might be able to change that somehow. We just need to get into Pat's ear and figure out a way to get us on television. <laughs> Name drops the 7-4 news director. Right. we got to get into Pat his ear. Pat Livingston. we got to get in his ear and see if he can get us on TV. But, yeah, it's been a long time. We've missed you in the studio. We have a lot to talk about. And, I mean, you're one of the better guys to do it with. So. Well, thank you, Jake. I mean, we uh, have another huge week of sports that happened last weekend. Really like the first full week of sports, plus the weekend. We had the Pete Moss invite. We had a dozen or so volleyball quads go on last week. Soccer games up the wazoo. I mean, everybody's coming north. Everybody's trying to make this happen. Even with canceled games, games have been replaced within a matter of hours. You know, Traverse City West just for one. They they were supposed to have, I believe it was Novi, come up here and play a soccer game. Said no. Within a few hours, they no, switched over. No, nobody said no. Mason made the trip up from the Lansing area, played that game Saturday, and they went on home. They've been able to kind of make it work and uh, see how it all has happened. How excited were you guys to get back out on the field last well, week? I mean, while we continue to wait to find out what the rest of the state's status is, it's like, no matter what, I, I asked Jeff Kimmel of the MHSA a couple weeks ago, are we going to do state championships up here if this trend continues? I mean, at least you feel like they're going to let these schools finish their volleyball and soccer seasons. Uh, I mean, this is awesome. While everybody else kind of sits around downstate and waits for a more of a go-to, we've, we've got stuff left and right to do even without football. So, I mean, we're in the catbird seat as far as media is concerned. Yeah. And home games up the wazoo. Literally. It, we're, we are just – we're busy. The Michigan Opens this week, which is something I want to mention right off top. We have one of those participants and first-time pro in that event, Traverse City West alumni Alex Scott. He's going to be joining us for our interviews on episode 139. So make sure you stick around for that. That was another exciting thing this week. We had golf for girls last weekend. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to get into that in the pulse. All of the happenings, all of the stats, all of the, you know, the last week of sports, we get back into our pulse and get to actually like chat about this stuff in full. So we'll get into that. Yeah, pulse is racing. Yeah, right. Literally, well, that's like your lead topic, right? I think so. We're going to we're going to get into that interview afterwards. We're going to get into some chatter that matters. I'm not sure if everybody saw, but there was a rally held by a lot of downstate teams uh, at the Capitol last weekend. I've seen some grumblings on Twitter today about sources from the MHSAA possibly revisiting football. So we're going to dive into that topic after we get out of our interview, and then we're going to get another rendition of a Hall of Fame and our trifecta. So make sure you stick around towards the end of the episode for that. Before we get too deep, always have to remind you, this episode is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. Fellas, we could just BS around and chat it out, but probably there's, there's only one thing I have to make sure that we bring up before we get into the actual episode, and it's our fantasy football stuff. Do we, we have to? We no. It's just it's just a plug. It's just a plug. Oh yeah, I forgot you guys are doing eight thousand of them. Yes, right. it's just a plug. Yeah. We have what one one and a half leagues still left open. How many spots do you about think that, we have left? About that, yeah. Well, there'll be nine in the third one, and there's probably four or five left in the second one. So first one's completely full. So we have about 10 to 12 spots left, give or take, depending on when you listen to this episode. When are the drafts, James? 
Uh, they're all going to be Labor Day night. All on Labor Day. So a week from today. A lot of labor. You can join all the way up until that labor last day. But a week for until. <laughs> a week from today, we are going to be drafting for our Fantasy Football Frenzy Leagues, where you can play against your local sports writers with me, James Cook, and our other buddy, Andrew Rosenthal. Make sure you sign up for those. If you want to sign up, send an email to resports at record-eagle.com with the email that you would like to use to sign up, and we will get an invite sent to you. Other than that, make sure you like, share, retweet, comment, share, whatever I didn't say already with this episode to get you entered in to win two free Jimmy John subs. We're getting back to it as the sports seasons get in, so make sure that you share this episode, and we will get you fed. Gentlemen, Put a finger on the heartbeat of the sports world, get in the pulse. That racing pulse. Yeah, I'm talking so fast because I was so excited to get back into this. And, I mean, if we're going to talk about fast stuff, let's start off with the Pete Moss invite. The Pete Miss? <laughs> the Pete Miss Invitational. Yeah, a little, a little biff by well, James well, on that correct one. On it's, on just a, it's just a tweet. Yeah, that's how it At least it wasn't goes. in the story. It's all on yeah. Twitter. Or at least, at least the story was actually in the paper. Yes, yeah. entirely. <laughs> yeah. My apologies to Leah Allen and Emma Turnquist on that as well. And my apologies to James. We had a little mess up on Sunday's paper where the entire feature that James wrote about the girls did not make it into the newspaper. Well, the first, like, six paragraphs did. Yeah, the entire thing is, is the, teaser. the key word. Yeah. yeah we tease it to online, oh, and we'll be running again. Thank God the game's Wednesday. Yeah. So we'll be so able to run it again in print before uh, the game on Wednesday. Game. It'll be all fine. They were cool with it. I texted them after we learned what happened. They were cool with it. But so. hey, you get two headlines in the newspaper two different days. Yeah. I don't have to work tomorrow, right? <laughs> Anyways, let's go ahead and talk about the Pete Moss invite. You were there Friday. Did you go did you end up stopping by there on I was Friday? Friday, yep. Yeah, I mean you guys saw some of those, you know, lower divisions, local teams. Petoskey ran on Friday. I know uh they were a big thing. You guys want to get your eyes on what did you guys see from there on Friday? Man, the Petoskey girls uh are deep and they have I mean with Emma Squires and, and Cambridge Smith up top, they have two really elite runners as well. But they also have really good depth. I mean, out of all the sessions on on uh, Friday, they had four of the top six times, and uh, so I mean they they just dominated on Friday. I don't know on on Saturday what you guys saw, but I, I was just there on Saturday. Friday, you were there. What else did you see from uh, some of the runners in the area? You know, I just it, it, Manton won both the the middle section that I was at section two or session two, whatever they called it. Man, two Manton runners won won those competitions, so they looked pretty impressive in that. Um, but it was just really unique to take part in an event that I used to run in at Traverse City Central, the Pete Moss Invitational. Back then, it was I think just the Benzie Central invite but that's an event that brings so many people i mean a lot of people kind of describe it as a preview for the state final a little early season preview kind of like the uh, what's the tip off champions classic for college mm-hmm. basketball it's kind of like that for northern michigan schools up here for cross country so it was really unique to see them have to take the 100 plus teams that were involved the 50 plus schools boys and girls on each side and just siphon them off into these different brackets and these different groups and pairings because MHSA rules says you can only raise, what, 70 runners, I yep. think, is the max. Yep. So it was just kind of interesting to see them all, you know, a small, it looks like a conference meet, but it was supposed to be one-eighth of an invitational in a sense. So that was really unique to see, you know, how they were going to take on that challenge because I know Asa Kelly and the team at Benzie Central, you know, they want to do anything they can to get, everything is normal for cross country and to get their guys the best competition and to get everybody in northern michigan the best competition too they're not just about growing benzie central they're about growing northern michigan cross country and you could see it the the hard work and the contributions that went into making that event possible just show you know how realistic this can be in a situation where we don't know if we can have sports safely or not and I mean, you bring that up and that's one of the things i actually asked ace on saturday i was just like one is just like, oh, my gosh, I could not imagine how much stress there was going in this, how much actual planning 
And one of the things I kind of noticed, I was like, not only is that normally one of the largest cross-country meets in the state every year, I'm almost positive that will be first and the largest cross-country meet in the state completely this year. Sands maybe a state finals or, if I it mean, works. At the worst case, I see somebody copying the template. Exactly, but I even talked to Asa, mm-hmm. and he's like, Nobody, nobody's willing to put in that much work for what they did. They spent six weeks making that happen. Mm-hmm. They just always thought it was going to happen. They were. He mm-hmm. told me they were basically, before they even heard, got the go that sports was good, basically July 15th when they said, hey, we're starting, is when they made sure that they were 100% on top of it. And then no matter what happened with the rest of the news, they just kept on pushing along and adapting. Them putting on that event was awesome to see the type of competition. And, of course, you mentioned it's not just for Benzie, of course, but – Asa, of course, strategically put himself and his team in that race, which was really awesome to see that first heat on Saturday morning. Uh, Benzie mm-hmm. being that small school, but racing with Traverse City Central, Traverse City West, Hart, Ludington, Saint and St. Francis. Though that is that is high quality competition. All Division One schools. We, I mean, we know Hart is top one of the top cross country programs. Yeah, Girls they, and boys, but boys is top five in the state as well. D four, yeah. Yeah, where they're at, they're top five in the state as well. And you go, Oh my gosh. D three, they might be I mean Hunter Jones and Drew Seabase, like it was the coolest thing about that race it was there was no other time I've ever been able to cover a cross country race like this. I actually got to see the race. Like standing by by the finish line, they had the drone and they had all the cameras set up. Mm-hmm. The guy was literally just following them on the drone, Juicy Base, and I. You got the to Ed watch. Sheeran looking guy. Yeah, you yeah. got you got to see that. Looked like Ed Sheeran. We all mm-hmm. know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and like <laughs> I, I know that it was really cool. Everybody got to watch it live online. But just being there, I mean, while it was raining, you're standing there underneath the tent, and you could just see them trucking through the rain. Juicy Base gave Hunter Jones a race for the first like 2.2, 2.3 miles. Mm-hmm. It was maybe the last mile he started to break off, and I wouldn't say until maybe the last quarter mile when it was clear that Hunter Jones, there was no way that he was coming back on Hunter Jones, right? But Hunter Jones ran 15 minutes flat, 15.00.65. And when he was coming down that last, like, I don't, know how, I, don't, I don't know how you could possibly sprint that hard in the last, whatever, 300 meters when you mm-hmm. just ran sub-four-minute miles for three mi- or sub-five-minute miles for three straight miles. Kid is unreal. He's only 15 years old. in the tank, yeah. I don't know. You guys didn't actually see him in person, but I think you guys saw the photos that Mike took. Mm-hmm. He probably put on about 20 pounds of actual weight over the over the last course of like this past year yep. with his running. He was doing like a 70-mile-a-week regimen is what he told me. He's only gotten faster. He's looking for 1430 mm-hmm. this year. It's completely possible. Me and you were talking about it. It's completely well, possible. Well, and racing with Drew and in against Division One teams definitely helped because there's going to be a lot of races. He's going to be on his own from 200 meters into the finish. Probably the rest year. of the yeah. rest of the season. So unless they get another good invite going, I know the Portage Invitational's canceled. I don't know if Benzie does. The I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if some but teams. A up lot here... of the races this year, he's going to be on his own for the majority of the time. So the fact that Drew was with him for a majority of this one was very good for Hunter and his development for well, the season. Yeah. Let's not, I, we got to give props to Drew Seabass too. Seabase, he literally he crushed his own PR by like re- twenty five seconds. I think I read that it was the second in Traverse City Central, <laughs> my school the has got fastest. a pretty illustrious cross country program, and that's the second fastest time to Anthony Barry ever recorded. And that's isn't, isn't that history. crazy? That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And like, of course, it's mean can't even though Hunter Jones is just blowing us all away. Cannot let that be overshadowed. Like Drew Seabase put on such a good race against Hunter Jones. It was like actually like nail biting to watch on a mm-hmm. drone cam while they're running through the woods. It was pretty sweet. They're right on each other's heels, maybe five yards. 
You know, you're probably going to smell his armpits from right behind you, him. You as can he was make running. the argument there's been no closer <laughs> and better race between two guys in Northern Michigan cross country history, probably, than that one. Because we have guys that are that fast, but usually they're on their own. Yeah. There's no guys that are right around 15 I, flat I, I, at 15 the beginning seconds. of the year, right next to yeah, each other. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like, the difference of 15 seconds that Drew Seabase had off of Hunter Jones. That was just the difference of not even just I, I just Hunter Jones in spring that last thirteen when he saw that clock, and saw that he might be able to break fifteen. Oh, it, is, it was literally the song started playing in my head. Just Eye of the Tiger. Well, you know, you were wondering where he gets the kick from. That's probably a big motivator when he looks in the corner oh, of yeah. his eye. I, I mean, I'll never forget my regional two mile race and as a sophomore, and I looked at the clock going into my eighth lap, and I tried to do the math for a seventy five second lap, and I couldn't do it. But in his head, he was probably like, I'm that close. You know, I'm tasting it. Just put it all on there. That's what's on the line. Because we golf. We know how cool it is to break a time barrier, to be under a minute mm-hmm. in time or even under a, a uh, 10 yeah, frame. Or, yeah. yeah, to go from 199 or 90 to 89. Like, we know how special those are. Runners do that, too. They know how breaking that barrier. Because, spoiler, Hunter Jones ain't never going to break 14 minutes. So when, when he breaks 15 minutes, that's going to be pretty pretty awesome. At least in cross country. You, you never, never know. Cross country, he's never going to break 14 minutes. He could on a track. You never know. And when I was there on Friday, I was talking to his dad, the uh, the old basketball coach at Buckley, and he was saying that at the state finals last year in Brooklyn, he had all kinds of coaches coming up to him and asking him, you know, well, what school is Hunter going to next year and everything like that? And he's like, he's a freshman. And they were all going, what? <laughs> and he's put on 20 pounds on top of that? It has to be at least 20 pounds. Yeah, Damn. but he, he's been running a lot. I mean, but – I don't really talk a lot more about him because he's only going to shave times for me. But 15 minutes flat in the first meet of the year, talk about a benchmark for your season. Now, I want to go. Like I said, that's a big help with Drew. Yeah. Because no, he doesn't get that without Drew in that Asa race. said the same thing. I asked the same thing too. Hunter and Hunter was like, yeah, dude, like if, if he wouldn't have been pushing me, you know, he's like even in the last whatever quarter mile, I was like, I just, this guy can't catch me. He's going to catch me. I have to run faster. He's going to catch me. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that was in the back of his mind because he probably didn't see competition like that almost all of last year except at that invite, which was his first race as a high schooler, you know. So definitely a bit different time. Now let's go over to the girls' side of that, though, because Julia Flynn also turned some heads, blew some minds. I said it on this podcast a couple weeks ago, but I misspoke and I cut it out of the podcast because I said that she was going to go under 16 minutes when I meant under 17 because we were talking about the whole thing and it was just a, a gaff of my mind. But I meant under 17. I cut it out of the podcast. I know you remember what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And we kind of like toyed with the idea that she could get under 17. Her, her PR last year was 17.26. So we're like, can she get under 17 this year? She ran a 16.51 at Pete Moss, which, I mean, I looked at, you know, according to the record books, obviously it's, it's a never different been done course. At the state finals. At the state finals. Ever. The fastest time ever is a 16.53 at state finals. So we're talking about Julia is in that same conversation to me as Hunter Jones. We have two of the best cross-country runners in the state, possibly in-state history, in northern Michigan right now. And Julia Flynn, I mean, she won by another, what what I say, a minute and 12 I was seconds? I say, she didn't have anybody yeah. on her either, did she? No, she ran by like a minute and 12 seconds. And, yeah, she, she, the way that she thinks when I was talking to her, she's just like, yeah, I just got to stay happy. Like, she has, she's just running. Well, didn't back in the day, didn't you learn on the podcast what C.L. Carney used to do, uh, French verbs or something, conjugate yeah. French words or something? So you just got to find that thing. That she said She zone. said to me on She said to me on Saturday that she's told herself now she's just like, maybe if I just smile, the pain will go away. So if you ever see Julia Flynn just smiling while she's running, it probably is probably like that little like crazy, insane smile on the inside. Like it's, yep, it's all going to be okay. But hey, it worked. Think about that. She, she saved 
almost 35 seconds off of her PR in the first race of the year. As a junior, we've seen we've seen girls taper off from their freshman year, when, but but she's been at the front of the pack from the second that she started running at uh, Traverse City Central, mm-hmm. both track and cross country. Yep. So where does she go from here? 17 minute 1651 benchmark for Julia Flynn to start the season. What are we talking about with the trajectory it, of these two? It's a really kids? good debate. What time is more impressive between the two? Honestly, and we're going to continue to debate it through the, the end of the episode. So, but seriously, I I don't know. I'm I'm obviously I was extremely impressed getting to watch both of them just completely. Did it make you wish you ran cross country? Never. <laughs> <laughs> not even close, not even once. I sat there. I'm and not going like, to lie. I was there on Friday. And I was like, oh, man, it's bringing back all the memories because I ran that same course pretty much. They've tweaked it a little. but They had to because they They COVID. also uh, both kicked my times, but Julia beat my best time in that course by about 15 seconds. I think the other thing that's really interesting, though, about the Moss Invitational is that, you know, they haven't – the MHSA hasn't set anything for what they're going to do for the postseason for any of these fall sports. And what are the odds that they decide to not have all the state finals in one location like they normally do? I think there's very is setting itself up to host maybe the the you know one of the divisions for the finals, saying we've already done it, we've already done a huge race here, we can do it. So I mean, there's that that little I just hope nugget there that Benzi hosts the state before. finals. I'm I'm that would be that'd be awesome. We'd actually be able to cover a cross country state finals. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Instead of trying to get our editors to let us drive eight and a half hours round trip to make it happen. <laughs> but that's a lot of cross-country talk. We still have other sports that happened last week. I know that was really impressive, but we have a couple other things to talk about. We gotta go, I want to go into tennis. Uh, you guys weren't, weren't around for the weekend, but they had their, their annual TC kickoff, TC Summer Splash, whatever you want to call it. But they only made it a uh, try this year, obviously. It would have been a, normally a few more teams than that. But they had Hudsonville come up. And it was Traverse City Central, Traverse City West. We know Hudsonville is a very good tennis team. Great State powerhouse. Team. Exactly. And uh, Traverse City West obviously was huge last year. They had some returners, but we've already talked about this on the podcast a little bit. It looks like the Tides might be turning back to Traverse City Central in the BNC. They have their first match against each other this weekend. Traverse City Central wins 5-3. to three. Obviously, that's just one game swing. Nothing crazy. But... It's kind of the way that we've talked about it. What does this say for the rest of the season in the BNC when Travis East Central is the one to take that first step forward? I mean, they both got their butts kicked by Hudsonville, by the way. I think it was seven to one. But well, for the they BNC, gave them free ice cream then. But for 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 the BNC, what does the first matchup tell you guys? Well, I mean, it looks like Traverse City Central's kind of back. I mean, West has kind of been carrying the play the last year, year and a half or so, um, and you know the tide had been turning on that dominance that TC Central had had in, in tennis and the stranglehold in the Big North Conference, and it looks like maybe it's turning back. Yeah, I talked to uh, the Trojans and head coach Shane Dillaway a few weeks ago for a team preview, and you know I asked them all, hey, West beat guys last year. How'd that feel? And they're like, that yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> we really want to offset that. And they went in the first chance they did. It was close, but they did it. So that shows they're, they're not letting that you know stay with you. Sometimes you know, I think, boy, how many times did they lose to West last year? It was just, they, they didn't beat them once, however many times they played. Three, I believe. Three they times? Lost, yeah. So, I mean, that kind of gets at you for a while. You're like, we couldn't win one of those. So it shows a lot that, you know, the first time in, they, they are the one that takes the bragging rights back. Obviously, the conference is the real bragging right between those two. But um, on their home court, they held serve, you know, pun intended. You talk about last year, Traverse City West was that senior-laden team. Traverse City Central, Central is that it this year? That's why I think they're going to turn that tide. That helps a lot. Turn it back around. Uh, five to three once again. That doesn't say that much to me. It's not incredibly decisive, but but, but the number one, number ones win Central way, Central's way. So you're thinking number ones getting each other. That's where you really want to win those points. 
but I mean, there's eight flights. I think I think it actually went like West won all three doubles after the one double, and then sing- Central won all four singles and one doubles. I'm pretty sure is how the scoring went with that. Yeah, I mean, either way, you're gonna see you're gonna see a good battle out of them this year for them to try to like retake that crown. I mean, Shane Dillaway also told me that you know Petoskey's no joke um, whatsoever in tennis this year, so to watch out for them. So dark horse if we're forgetting about them out there. One more sport to chat about before we get into our interview with Alex Scott is some soccer. Soccer's good. Soccer's very good. And it's like really kicking up. We have what probably five, six games under our belt in the week for a lot of these teams. A lot of them, yeah. A lot of teams did double uh, double headers, or I guess I don't know if you really call them double headers in soccer, would you? Double pitchers? No. <laughs> mini yeah, they, they mini played, tournaments. They played two games in one day. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple of teams. How, how long were the games? Regular regular games. Regular games. Two eighty minute games. In one yeah, day. half hour break in between. Nothing crazy. Hey, they're trying to get them all in as much as they can. But I know you had a couple chances to kind of look at these guys last week. Buckley started five and zero. So, which I mean, with the guys that they lost, is I mean, it's not necessarily surprising, but it's it's good to see, you know, because you thought losing Callan Wildfong and Tyler Francisco, uh, guys like that, that maybe there'd be some drop off, but hasn't like, been so far. I mean, I'm pretty sure those guys are up there in the school all time scoring with Callan Wildfong. He's he was a huge guy for them last year, but starting yeah. five and zero, oh, that is that is an, an awesome feat for the Bears. John Vermillion is the coach over there, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's he's always been really responsive with us. He's always seemed like a pretty good guy. Uh, he's he's done well with them the last few years. They're good. Yeah, they, they ever stay... since that soccer team made the run to the semifinals, I mean, that's just – obviously they were kind of coming off of the steam of the basketball team that did that back-to-back finals trip. But since then, mm-hmm. the soccer team's definitely been more consistent than the basketball team as far as staying up at the top. Mm-hmm. And they don't have football to compete with, so that, you know they can make themselves into a, a soccer school. Yeah. I mean, other guys, Traverse City Central is already like 5-0. and They're ripping off to a hot start. Traverse City West won another big game this weekend over Mason. They were 4-1. That's – that's we, a nice we, win, too. That's what I'm saying. Glen Lake, 4-1. and one. Their only loss coming to Petoskey, uh, which was a 7-3 to three loss. But Henry Plumstead, he stepped onto the scene as a that's, freshman. That's and a, we, that's, yeah, it's a D3 school playing a D1 school. Yeah, but Henry Plumstead stepped onto the scene as a freshman, and we were all like, okay, this kid's good, and he's a junior now. I know I keep saying this about kids on the podcast. He has to already be one of the kids we're looking at as player of the year. Mm-hmm. Has he's to in be. the conversation. He's already got, I think, seven goals in five games, or eight goals in five games, uh, one of them being a hat trick. Uh, in the last week and a half for Pumstead. So you need to watch out for that kid. But even against Glen Lake, Glen Lake beat Traverse City Christian, which was Traverse City Christian's only loss on the season so far. Traverse City Christian, under new head coach Roy Matney, has been absolutely destroying teams after losing to Glen Lake. They have two 8-0 shutouts, and then they beat Kingsley 12-0 on Saturday before halftime. Yeah, that should not be allowed, unfortunately. But yeah, they got a little they – got, but they, <laughs> they've been stance. roughing some people up after getting beat that first time. And I was at mm-hmm. that first game, the Glen Lake-TC Christian game. I mean, that was a pretty back-and-forth game for a while there until Glen Lake pulled away at the end. So you had two good teams on the field that day, and it's shown since then. Yeah, I mean, they are firing on all cylinders under the new coach. Do you think just, that... just destroying people, and one of them was Charlevoix. Yeah, eight to zero over which Charlevoix. Which is usually a pretty solid team. <laughs> to beat them eight nothing. I was like, wow. So they're probably missing Ron Christie a little bit, but Coach Montney is doing something right. Mm-hmm. Sure, seems like it. Henry Reinick had a, a hat trick in that game, that twelve to zero game. So another one of their offensive guys. I'm pretty sure he wants it. He has six goals on the season already. If I counted backwards right through our prep roundups, for whatever reason, the I mean, I guess we are the only teams in the state that are really playing soccer, but everybody is, I feel like everybody's coming out of the gate on fire. Maybe there's so, something added. So Henry Plumstead is in the running for Mr. Soccer. 
Literally. If nobody else plays if Nobody soccer. else plays in Michigan. You're right. <laughs> Northern Michigan, Mr. Si- Mr. Do we get Michigan. to decide that award then? Hmm? <laughs> I said, if that happens, do we get to decide that award? We should. We just be the de facto vote. I mean, again, that decision's got to come pretty soon. They can't just wait <clears> until <throat> late September to say, hey, downstate team, you can start playing these sports. That yeah. Might. Well, if you want to talk about that, I mean. We'll, we'll get we'll it. That's, that's after. That's that, after. That's matter chatter. Yeah, that's okay. chatter that matters. So let's go ahead and cut that off. That section sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's are freaks about fresh meat, bread, and veggies because that means better sandwiches for all. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's freak, yeah. We're going to go ahead and we're going to dive into that interview with Traverse City West alumni Alex Scott after he spent his first day at the Michigan Open as a professional. Let's go ahead and give a listen to that now. The Get Around Podcast is extremely excited to welcome in Traverse City West alumni, Grand Valley State alumni, new pro and current Michigan Open competitor, Alex Scott. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I know it's been quite a journey, especially with you being from Traverse City and playing on that course and working at that course, if I'm not mistaken, at the resort for quite some time. I know you've played a couple Michigan Opens before, but let's just start there. What's it feel like being a pro for the first time, taking this head on after getting a little bit more experience after you were done with school? Cool. Um, I like playing in it. I've uh, played in it probably four different times now. Three times when I was at Presswick Village downstate, and then the first year it came back to the Bear, which was two years ago. I did not compete in it last year as I was uh, I was gone. I was in Arkansas at the time. But it's it's exciting. I mean, it's, it's cool to – kind of be around a lot of people that I grew up with um, playing golf, whether they're the same age as me or a little bit older, and some people who are still good amateur golfers who are leaving golf as, you know, that sort of game for them, or some who are are my age who have turned professional and are also playing this as their, or well, hoping to, you know, have it be their profession and their career. So, but having it at home is always nice. I mean, I get to stay in my own bed and, you know, be around family. Family gets to come out and watch me. You know, they don't really uh, get to see me play a ton anymore as I don't really play locally a ton. And especially since I wasn't around last year, it's nice to it's nice to see everybody again. And uh, whether it was former, former uh, co-workers or current players and stuff, it's cool. Yeah, I know you finished even for the first day, but you I mean you've obviously played that course quite a bit. These guys they come up, they get to play it for the week or this is the only time they normally play it. What type of experience factor do you think that has to do with how many times you've actually been around that course, know how it plays and talked to all the pros at the resort for so long? There's definitely a level of comfort with the course. After I worked there for six summers um through kind of high school into college and it's it's a, it's a very demanding golf course, especially when you play it in the wind. It can be pretty difficult to get comfortable over your tee shots and shots into the greens. So when you've played it enough times, um, although today was a pretty unusual wind, I will, I will preface that. But when you've played it enough times and you kind of get used to some certain club selections and how you want to play into some greens, um, you know, it, it's nice knowing that. You know, you don't really have to hit the panic button if you kind of hit a couple of bad shots here or there, have a couple of bad holes. If you start to kind of find your game, you can really string together some birdies out there. And a lot of people kind of 
it, it's funny. There's a, a kind of an aura around the course where when everybody kind of shows up for the week, you can kind of tell the difference between the people who embrace the course and understand it's difficult or the people who kind of show up, you know, even some good players and they're like, God, I hate this course. Or, yeah. oh man, you know, I played here, I played back here last year, which it is very easy to do. I mean, this course can beat you down even when you might be playing some decent golf and, you know, the scores might not be shown. Uh, when being there, you know, working there for a long time, you know, having that level of comfort with it, you know, I don't tend to get too far ahead of myself or get too mm -hmm. down on myself if I'm not playing, you know, the best golf in the moment. Uh, I know that I can turn on a whim. This is definitely a course where the more that you play it, you know, you start to get your club selection and lines down much better off the tee. You're able to kind of ease your mind into it a little bit more. I've just always wondered, you know, just being a regular golfer, you're never going to get into like a playoff where you have to play extra holes. That just seems like some of the most pressure-packed golf that you could have every second, every shot. I mean, everything I feel like you has to be perfect. Could you just describe what it's like going through a playoff, especially when thousands of dollars are on the line? It's, it's kind of weird uh, because I, it, to me it doesn't really feel a whole lot different than kind of the back nine with intention. Uh, but a playoff is weird because, I mean, it comes down to a sudden death. And both playoffs, they're actually within – they were within 72 hours of each other. I, <laughs> I played one, I played one three day event and I went into a playoff and lost. And then the next day was the start of another three day event. And then we played the, we played that event and, you know, 72 hours later I was in another playoff, which I lost again, unfortunately, but it's, playoffs are very weird because you do, in my opinion, I, I would say you're, your play becomes a little bit more like match play at times because both of my playoffs were three man playoffs. So when you're in that kind of situation, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive than I might be in regulation because you kind of figure that a, you're probably going to need a birdie to win. You know, a par is probably not going to be good enough. And that's exactly how both of them happened. It was kind of mirror images of each other. We went back and we played 18 both times. And it ended on the first playoff hole because one of the other guys in the group, they hit it to like four feet both times. And they just rolled in the birdie putts. It was kind of anticlimactic. It wasn't like there was really any, you know, amazing putt made or anything like that. But normally the person who, you know, is a little bit more aggressive kind of hits that nice shot in there, you know, kind of the kill shot deal is the way it goes. So to kind of get out of those playoffs, you need to be – I think you got to be a little bit more aggressive and you know, you're already going to have a good finish. Obviously there's some pressure on you to, to win and, and it's always nice to do that. But I, you know, I lost to two birdies guys who hit it in close on some pretty difficult holes. So at the end of the day, I wasn't really kicking myself or anything. I, I didn't lose the tournament in the playoff itself. I probably lost the tournament somewhere down the other 54 holes that we played in the meantime. But, yes, it is it is cool. I mean, all eyes are on you. you. I think, you know, your adrenaline's up a little bit more. You probably hit the ball a little bit further. You got a little bit more energy. So it's cool. I, th I think once you're in enough of them, though, uh, you kind of start to – you do get used to it. There's always pressure there, but mm -hmm. you kind of know how to how to hone your energy and put it in the right places. I, I guess I never thought about it like that before. You're like, yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but man, I'm one second place already. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Really, I mean, like, nobody wants got a nice silver. check. Yeah, no one wants silver, but that check doesn't hurt at the end of the day, right? Right, it doesn't hurt, and you know, so 
everybody kind of asked me about the whole money scenario. You know, you stand there, you know, oh, that guy missed a five-footer that costed him $2,000. You know, that does happen, but I can guarantee you, you know, as a player, that never runs through your head. I mean, you're, you're more just sitting there with the pressure of, okay, you know, if I make this, I, I win. Or if I make this, I know it'll, you know, it'll get me another spot up the leaderboard or whatever. Uh, obviously, you know, you kind of sit around after and you go, oh, dang, that, that putt did cost me. But you're never thinking that in the moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way you've already played the good golf. You know, you got yourself into a playoff. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to really overthink what you're doing or try to do anything too much different. It's just, okay, you know, I'm already going to have a good finish. So now the best way to think about it for me is like you're now you're kind of in a new tournament and it's a sudden death deal. So, you know, you might as well be the one to go out and get it. You want to kind of grab, grab it by the horns and be the one to take control. You don't really want to, you know, you don't want to wait around. I'm know, sure you don't want to follow, hope. you don't want to follow somebody else's awesome shot and have to make a better shot. You don't want to wait around for someone to, to mess up. You want to be the one just to take control and just win it yourself. That'd be, that'd be like in an NBA game you know, kind of staying back and hoping the guy misses the three point shot, you know, yeah. it's, it's more so kind of being out there and, and uh, trying to perform and allow yourself to, to just take on whatever risk it may be. Cause you know, you already put yourself in a good position, you know, you're playing, you know, you're playing good golf to be in a playoff. So you might as well just let that take over and, and allow yourself to hit the shots instead of kind of hoping, Oh man, I hope this guy, you know, doesn't hit a good shot in here or misses this putt or whatever. You might, you can't really do anything about what he's doing. You can't play defense or anything. So you just got to take matters into your own hands. So what's it like um, from a golfer's perspective coming back from having your appendix taken out? I mean, uh, I mean that's a, a surgery in your abdomen. You know, you golf, you obviously have to uh, to be flexible in, in, in the midsection and stuff. So how, how does that affect your game? How long did it take you to come back? Yeah, it was pretty weird because so that was, that was the first ever surgery that I've had. Um, never, never had a surgery on anything before. So, you know, I, I guess I haven't asked too many other people about what their first surgery experience is like, but, uh, I was in quite a bit of pain, you know, up to five or so days after the surgery was done. And, and yeah, I mean, it is weird because, you know, there's so much twisting and, and core usage in golf that, uh, I was asking the doctor, I had to do like a, a post-op check thing and you know, the normal recovery it says is like two to three weeks for an appendix surgery, or at least the one that I had, uh, two to three weeks recovery. So I go in and resume daily activity and I'm like, well, I'm like, you know, I swing a golf club upwards of 110 mile per hour with my driver. Like, is that, what you consider daily activity. Like, what do you think I should do golf wise? Cause I still didn't really feel like I was at a hundred percent. And the guy's just like, Oh yeah, just ease into it. I'm like, Oh, that, that, that gives me, me that, <laughs> like, that gives me so much help. <laughs> right. Like that, that really cleared it up for me. Thank you for letting me know. So really what happened for me was and and honestly, I would, I would think that this recovery is probably a little longer than what most people would experience if they had a similar surgery to me. But it was about three, just under three and a half weeks after the surgery was done for me to get back to full golf stuff. I was able to swing my driver comfortably and be able to practice for uh, longer hours, like longer period during the day to feel comfortable. But it actually took me almost 
it took me about five weeks to feel comfortable again working out, um, which I thought was really weird. I tried to go back in and work out about the same time that I was back to practicing and playing golf fully. And I was still experiencing some pain in my abdomen area. Not, And it wasn't soreness. You know, there's a very real difference between soreness and just actual pain. And so I was doing kind of some workouts, like even a light, you know, kind of a light warm up jog on the treadmill, kind of felt some pain there, lifted some weights, felt some pain. I was like, man, maybe I probably shouldn't be working out right now. So it was about just over five weeks before I could kind of be working out again. Obviously, with you just becoming pro in the last calendar year or really just over it and, you know, getting out of school or whatever, for you, it does the way that you approach the game any differently? I know that you said earlier that it's really kind of about, like, playing the course, playing yourself, but just do you carry yourself any differently becoming a professional as that when you did, with, did as an amateur? We have a lot of, you know, high school kids who, who we interview and go on this show and listen to this, but how, how has it kind of changed as you've progressed up the ladder in your golf career? I would actually say, you know, it probably started from when I was in high school into college. There's no, you know, you go around and ask any college athlete, once you go from high school to college, you just spend more hours in your sport. And, it, and then if you don't, you know, you're not going to move up the ladder or you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be a starter on your college team or you're going to be a backup or whatever it may be. Uh, you definitely have to put in more hours, whether it be in the gym or on the golf course or on the courts or whatever it may be. So I've, I was kind of lucky enough to have a gradual progression from high school into college and now college into, into my professional career, because I've seen quite a few kids who, who worked very hard in high school who may have gotten a little bit burnt out as they entered college or college into their professional career. Um, I think, I think I've kind of gone about it in a really good way as, you know, being young, I still kept it fun and, and I still, you know, I still practiced, but not nearly as many hours or what I did now, but becoming a professional, I've said, you know, I've just had to take some other things a little bit more seriously than when I did in college. And when I was in college, I still had my fun um, in the off season, you know, I'd be able to go out and enjoy myself on the weekends, you know, whether it was in downtown Grand Rapids or back on campus. And I, you know, I wouldn't trade any of that stuff for the world. I think that's a great stress reliever as a college person who you're trying to balance, you know, classes and social life and athletics and all that. But now that I'm a professional, you know, there's less of those weekends and there's more hours and more times or more hours spent in the gym, more hours spent in the course, taking care of my body a little bit better, going to bed a little bit earlier. So it's really more, I would say, about how I'm approaching my daily life than it is really golf. I, you know, golf's been kind of the same. I'm always trying to figure out ways to get better. I'm, I'm constantly contacting my swing coach and, you know, kind of getting, picking his brain and figuring out ways to get better, whether it's, you know, doing different drills or spending more hours in certain parts of my game or simply just, you know, make, maybe making a swing change or whatever it may be. But, you know, the golf's always just been kind of been becoming more in depth, you know, becoming more of a mature, experienced player, mm -hmm. figuring out how to play courses better, you know, unlocking, you know, making some of my weaknesses a strength or whatever it may be. But I would say the biggest change is mostly outside of mostly outside of golf, just trying to figure out the small ways to continue to get better, whether it's even a little bit more sleep or a little bit more time in the gym, you know, trying to figure out how to swing it faster so I can hit it a little bit further, that kind of stuff. But yeah, the golf has been kind of 
you know, just year after year, I've been always putting in a little bit more every, uh, so, or just putting in a little bit more hours gradually ever since high school all the way until now. I know, I know that there's no way to tell the hours, but at the very least, how many rounds of golf a year do you play? Full 18s. Oh man. Or like how many, if you, if you could put a number on the, on the amount of holes you see in a year, how many pins have um, you shot at a year? What do you think it is? What's the ballpark? Oof. Well, we got 365 days a year. So it's de- it's definitely going to be more now as uh, because when I was in college, you know, the winter months, I was in Grand Rapids. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So you might be hitting I in, the, in, the, in the aerodome or whatever. Yeah, but I would say uh, now, you know, if I, as a professional, if I was a kind of in a normal normal year you know no covid and allowing myself to go somewhere in the winter to uh to play and practice year round and everything i mean i would probably say i would probably play about 300 times a year i mean just uh because obviously well yeah that's just practice rounds and that's everything that's that's yeah i mean that's that's practice rounds and tournament rounds and you know casual rounds or whatever it may be because to me and, and it's taken me a while to to kind of get to this mindset because i've sometimes fallen in the habit of where i've kind of sat on the range for a little bit too long or sat on the putting green and and obviously there are days where you do need to do that you know if you're kind of struggling with your game you know maybe you do gotta you know take a couple two two three days to you know just suck it up and say okay i gotta i gotta go on the range for a while or i gotta sit on the putting green for a while which you know, those, those days and those hours, they really can't suck, but everybody's got to do it, you know, but there is at the end of the day, there's no better practice than playing. If you can play a lot of holes, that's where you're learning how to score. That's where you're learning how to hit different shots because, you know, when you're on a range, you know, you have a perfect flat lie every single time, you know, you hardly ever get that on a golf course. The ball's always going to be below your feet, above your feet and and some thick stuff. in my in our case, probably in the sticks. That. Yeah, the only time you ever get that, you know, is usually when you're on the tee box. So, and then, you know, when you're on the range, you can't really visualize there being a tree in front of you. You know, that happens to you on the golf course. So you got to be able to go out and learn how to score. There's Golf is a very weird game where you can you can finish around and say, man, I, I didn't really play that well today, but I scored pretty well, and I'm pretty happy with the day. And there can also be times where, you walk off the golf course, you're like, man, I felt like I hit it really good, and, and I did some of these things, but but I didn't score that well. You know, I missed the short putts, or I, I didn't take advantage of the par fives, or whatever it may be. So, and my my swing coach Scott Ebert has been has been preaching that to me for years. He always tells me I don't play enough golf, and I was like, man, I play enough golf. You know, get away from me. But now now being, I guess, saying older, I'm not that old. I'm only 23, but being a little bit older and becoming a little bit more experienced uh now it's like man you know i don't really like sitting on the range that much it's like okay let's get out and play like can i go play this course or you know travel over here or whatever it may be i'm always yeah. trying to play more golf now one piece of advice for turning a round of golf around say this is not going your way uh-huh. i know obviously it's not just it's not that easy to flip a switch, but what's one thing you do for yourself when you're, when you're having a bad day to either get yourself back on track or kind of just turn it around? So there's usually two things that I do. One thing that's always a constant for me, whether I'm playing good or bad is I'm always, I'm always kind of, I wouldn't really say muttering to myself, but I'm always kind of thinking of staying patient because 
golf is a weird game, especially when you get to the kind of level that that me and some of the guys who are playing in the Michigan Open this week are at, where you know you can make three birdies to start off your round, and you might not make another one the rest of the day. You might walk off the course being like, "Oh man, I had it good going, or I had it I had it going well early, and I didn't capitalize late," or you might not have a birdie until your 15th hole and then you can birdie the last four you know so you can and that only happens if you are staying patient because you you can't allow yourself to to force the situation or force the issue because the more that you do that in golf you usually just end up playing worse you kind of you kind of get a little on edge you get a little tilted you know Maybe you miss a makeable putt and, you're, you know, you're kind of kicking yourself while you're down and then you kind of let it affect, you know, maybe your next shot or the next hole or whatever it may be. So the one of the biggest things is staying patient. It's just you never know when the good golf is going to come. You never know when the birdies are going to come. You never, you know, you might have some, some pars or bogeys and then boom, you might rattle three off in a row. So staying patient is definitely key because you never know when the golf is going to come. And then secondly – for me, you know, if I hit like a bad shot or a couple bad shots in a row or have a couple bad holes, I try to, I kind of try to think of something else. As weird as that sounds, you know, most, most tournaments you're walking, you know, sometimes you get to ride, but not really. So most of the time when you're walking, you kind of have a lot of time to think. So the last thing you really want to do is like, if you hit a bad drive and, you know, let's say you're not sure if it's in play or not, or if it was kind of on the line of a hazard and you don't know it's in it or not, you get a lot of young and inexperienced people who will kind of walk, you know, they'll walk really fast and their body language will change and they'll try to get up there and, you know, they're stressing the whole time they get up there. For me, what I try to do is like, if I kind of have a bad hole or a bad shot, I kind of, I don't want to say I walk slower, but I make sure that I don't walk faster than I normally do you know, kind of take a couple breaths and allow myself to, yeah, I kind of allow myself to really think of something else, whether it's just something non-golf related, allow your, allow your mind to calm down, you know, so it's always different. Is it telling me it's literally like that happy Gilmore happy place? A little bit, yeah. Sometimes, (laughs) sometimes, you know, you might think of a song, let's say you got a song stuck in your head, you know, you might be muttering the lyrics to yourself. Grandma winning the lottery, a keg of beer in a house for you. I could just Yeah, exactly, like anything like that. Alex, we really appreciate you taking the time uh, out of obviously a busy week to get on here with the Get Around and uh, chat about your golf career so far. So we thank you once again. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Another huge thank you to Alex for joining us here at the Get Around. Former, current, whatever, it's always great to have local athletes here. And the Michigan Open is like our favorite time to work, isn't it, fellas? It's pretty nice. Huge thank you to Alex, too. He actually got me a spare ball that he found on the course today and just gave it to me. So I benefited off watching Alex Scott play golf today. Was it a Pro V1? No, it was a Titleist one. It was still a good golf ball. He goes, that's not mine. Here you go, Harry. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. That interview is sponsored by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Order a tasty sandwich today with the Jimmy John's app. Freaky fresh, freaky fast, Jimmy John's freak, yeah. Let's get into our next segment, gentlemen, the chatter that matters. Obviously, there's rumors swirling around that football might be making its way back to Michigan. We've heard the Big Ten is tossing around a Thanksgiving start date. 
the states around us have been playing. Mark Yule has apparently been quoted that the conversation's never stopped, but the time is basically now or never for them to make this decision. I would think it's got to be soon. Right. You got to rebook those referees. You got to do all the logistical stuff. You got to get these kids back to practicing every day for a week or two before you can play again. I mean, you can't have it the way it is now where they're practicing once or twice a week and then just tell them, hey, you're playing next Friday. But there's been so many things thrown around that, you know, you never know what's going to stick. But uh, it, it seems to be that, that what the impetus for this was is non-school groups starting up seven-on-seven seven leagues for the fall and the MHSAA saying, well, if other groups are going to play football, we feel that the safest way to play football is under our direction, under the school's direction. So it's supposedly back on the table, and they're asking you know, to bring it back along with the other sports for the rest of the state. I don't know why you go to the effort of telling everybody the season is done, what, two weeks ago? Two and a half weeks ago, like 17 days, it was two weeks ago Friday. I don't know why you go to the effort and the, the, the despair and the sadness of dropping that announcement to only come out two weeks later and be like, well, hey, we're reconsidering. We're actually, we're going to get this talking. And I, I think you're, you're giving false hope to something that just we've clearly identified does not have a clear picture or a clear understanding of happening. And yes, I hate saying that. And it feels bad that for everybody that is not getting to play football this fall and there's that chance they're not going to play football in the spring, but why are we suddenly acting like a lot changed in two weeks? They had no serious hesitation in canceling things two weeks ago. What what suddenly changed in two weeks besides rogue teams doing their own thing that they're like, well, okay, we better reverse that giant decision that we thought Mm -hmm. we were totally right on, not saying that's my opinion or not, but if you're going to make a (laughs) clear message and tone for that choice – and what, what, how, what, <laughs> well, the, what are we doing revisiting it in the Big Ten, too? I think a lot of those talks are Thanksgiving was a rumor, but a lot of the talks are also swirling around winter months. So I don't think mm-hmm. we're still anywhere near a Big Ten season, even though those talks came out just a couple days ago either. I think part of it, too, is that the neighboring states that are playing football have – have pulled it off. They haven't pulled it off, though. This is my point. I mean, yeah, you're a weekend. No, you're a weekend. There's, there's, so, there's so, literally but... high schools in Indiana that are shutting down entire yeah. teams because of COVID. It's happening over and mm-hmm. over again. They just don't care. This is the difference. They just don't care. And when somebody said that the MHSAA, they said it last week, that the MHSAA, it was when this whole that whole thing happened on Friday, when basically all these people use these 18-year-old football kids as political tools to try and blame this on the governor. When the MHSAA made this decision over and over again saying, no, we, we put our pen to govern, and they, she said okay or not okay, and we, you know, they didn't formulate this whatsoever, right? Now all of a sudden they're going to go back and ask the governor if it's okay to play sports, which makes no sense to me. But I, I, this is what really made me mad. They, they are kind of they are waiting on the governor though. Yeah, I mean the governor has to change something before they can play the sports state. downstate. Executive order one sixty or something. But I'm talking yeah. about football. Main... Mm-hmm. But from what I saw today, apparently people just want her to go. Yeah, you can, all the high school sports can happen, but other gatherings are not going to happen. I, I don't know, understand how ludicrous people are. I know there probably wasn't there wasn't really anybody from Northern Michigan who you guys saw the the let them play gathering at the Capitol on Friday, right? Mm-hmm. So it was happening. Yeah. I cannot tell you how incensed and angry I am at every single one of those kids and their parents. Just And I don't want to do this. I, I don't know how to use the right word that is not just completely ripping 17-year-old kids apart. It was foolish. Or their parents. Yes, foolish. Dude, you, you're you going to go to the Capitol, gather in huge, large math gatherings, as we're, we're asking you not to, screaming, we have done everything 
that you, we were supposed to let you play. Without masks everything. on. And then they take a picture with 300 kids standing on the steps, and no one has masks. Every media person it's there like, looks around. There's, the like, same as there's like less than 10. Literally. I was looking through the photo trying to pick out. There's like there's like seven or eight kids maybe in, how, with masks on. And how in God's in name, if you're, if you're organizing that event, do you not require masks? Yeah. Do you not like? Do you not read this first thing out of the entire MHSAA or state guidelines that you need to wear a mask if you want this to happen? And no one is wearing a mask. I hate to be like this. I went to four football camps. Okay, they weren't doing everything they were supposed to be doing if they wanted this season to happen. End of story. That's true. I'll be a hundred percent honest with you. They did Hot what they. Take Jake is. Uh, they did real. what they they did what they thought was best and they thought what they could. But they were mm-hmm. not doing everything they needed to make this season happen. Whatever they're thinking, we did everything. You ain't done crap. End of story. And it's, it's not... turning into Stephen A. Smith. I know. I was. <laughs> I was seriously no. How how I you? I can, haven't hit the mute button yet, so he's not full on Stephen A. Smith. Yet. How you can have all those kids show up there saying we want to play football, but you are gonna wear one like you aren't gonna wear a mask. It was really funny because even the kids who I saw. I think it was the DeWitt football players. They came out with like a huge statement when the MHSAA, you know, made their decision to cancel football. We support the MHSAA. We knew they did everything they could to give us a season. We stand behind them. Same kids were standing on the steps without masks on last Friday, two weeks later, because they ain't getting to play. Because the other states around them are getting to play. Indiana is literally having schools shut down because they sent everybody back with no precautions. This is not a joke. Let us play. Let us play. Do they act like we're literally everybody's trying to dig a hole and just put the football players in it. Like, yeah, it's just you. Get out of here. Oh my gosh. No. This is literally a statewide regulatory thing about a pandemic. And they just That's don't still a problem. Get it. Yes, that is still a problem. It's getting worse and worse in Indiana. And I, we hate to be like this. Iowa, right? We just talked about one of our old students going down to Iowa. Dude, they have the largest number of case increase in the last week in the entire country now. And they said that they're going to allow 30, 25 or 30,000 people at Iowa State football games. Are you serious? 30,000 people go to Iowa State football? Are you serious? It's just ridiculous. It did not yeah. do what they were hoping it would do. Made it worse. Yeah. And, and I think most of us, the ones who didn't go, are, are coming from the same. They, they were the only ones that seriously thought that was going to do anything. Because I think we all, we all support them for letting their voice be heard, freedom of speech. But at the end of the day, that call is not getting reversed because a group decides to protest in front of the Capitol. That makes it even that I mean, that made, that made their, it literally made their gave, argument worse. It gave a poster for us to look at and say, they're not following the rules. You don't deserve to play if you can't follow the rules. We just saw the Pete Moss invite, dude. They followed the rules. They followed the rules. To, to like, <laughs> beyond. I mean, they went, like, yeah. you, you know. You so watched, it can be done. You watch cross. So do it. You've yeah. Seen, dude, you've seen marathon or cross country kids. They cross that finish line. They're about to collapse and die on the ground. They wouldn't even let the kids breathe when they got done with the course before they dragged they them off the to their bus. Yep. you got to go 30 feet from everybody else if you want to breathe. Mm-hmm. Okay, put your mask they, on and, here, right and they, here. As soon and they had to keep the their mask on until one minute before the race started. Yeah, and they had to put it on as soon as they got off the course. Mm-hmm. As soon as they caught their breath, there goes your mask. It can be done right. You didn't do it right, ladies and gentlemen. I can't lie to you. And for and, and shame on those parents. Shame on them for not making sure that that was done correctly. Yeah, because the optics of that were just horrible. Terrible. I mean, the other thing I could see, though, about this is I could see that the MHSAA may be saying hey, we're going to ask for football back to to spur the governor into doing something and, just, and saying, well, no, I, we can't do football, but you know what? We'll give you volleyball, soccer, and swimming. Ooh, so it's a bluff. We're playing poker. It's a poker chip. It could be. 
Nice. Full house versus trip aces. What, what we got here? Losers all around is what we have here. <laughs> That's what. That is the pretty impressive. The ready. The house wins on that. I haven't seen him that fired up in the studio. Have you? It's been a while. It's the been, house wins. It's been it's been a while. It, it, it really it really made me mad last week when I saw that because Ray, I just I just going into it. I knew made... I know the people that are go, the the people who are choosing to go down there, and I respect them for letting their voices be heard. They're they're not thinking one hundred percent objectively about the situation. Well, no, they are objective to their own situation. They're not thinking. You could have made a proper situation. They could have made a proper statement. Yeah. They literally had a chance to make a proper statement, and they just missed the mark times 100. That segment brought to you by Jimmy John's with two locations in Traverse City. Jimmy John's spends six hours slicing and baking every day to make you a 30-second sandwich. Jimmy John's freaky fresh, freaky fast. Jimmy John's freak, yeah. We got a Hall of Fame, a few inductees. I feel like it's a little easy for us after what we've talked about. and I'm, I have not, It's not an easy route because this has to be the hardest a kid ever ran. But I'm gonna take the easy route with my nomination. Well, should we just put the two candidates up and vote? I mean, there's three. I'm taking the easy route, and I'm gonna put up who I think is obviously gonna be the winner. And Hunter Jones, sophomore, Benzie Central, runs 15 minutes flat. He also was the first ever Benzie Central Husky to win the individual medal at that home invite in like 33 years that they've ran it. So that was another cool thing that he did that day. First time for any Benzie Central individual for him to win that. So uh, a bunch of milestones. Broke a career or uh, personal best. Broke the school record. Broke the meat record and was the first Husky to ever win it. So what about you, Harry? All right. I'm going to make the argument for Julia Flynn. Uh, like we said earlier in the podcast, the, the times are just astronomically impressive based on putting them right next to each other. Uh, it, it, you could vote for either person. Any other week, either person was going to win this hands down. So the fact that we've got this marquee of a matchup in a sport that not everybody talks about, like a football, like a soccer, uh, I think that's great for the sport across country. And I you know, as great as Hunter Jones' run was, he got a little assist to do that. I think Julia Flynn ran her 16:51 all on her own, and we can't ourselves track down a faster time ever run by a girl in the state of Michigan in history. I'm sure it's been done, but we haven't been able to find it on the internet. So that in itself makes that one to me just slightly more impressive than Hunter's. Though obviously, Hunter speaks for itself as well. I'll throw Drew Seabase out there. You know, like you said. Second fastest time in Traverse City Central history, which is a, a program with a pretty good track record, so to speak. <laughs> cross record. But I mean, Wait, uh, let's cross reference that. Cross. <laughs> uh, let's go across the country. But obviously, Hunter Jones beat him out. But I mean, that's still a, a pretty good accomplishment for a kid, you know, transferred here a year ago to, from Alpena. The best third place finisher in this award. Yeah, I mean, a 15-15. A fi- <laughs> a There's literally nothing to scoff at at Mm-mm. all. Like, we're talking Mm-mm. about that. Let's blow away the field in most. In anything, except for Hunter Jones. Yeah. So, yeah, I, that, that's three super fast times. I almost feel bad that we're, that we're back to the point where we're only voting for one per week, right? Well, we just admitted the, the, the top two here are going to be – whichever one doesn't win is probably going to win, like, next week. It's, at some point, I know they will. But, James, since him and I are the uh, – we put up our own, you have to be the first one to vote. Okay, I'll, I'll like like Harrison said, I think the other one's pretty much going to get in pretty quick too. So I'll just vote for Hunter Jones for right now. So I mean, all the things that he did yeah. in that one run are pretty impressive to do those at one event. So uh, so we'll go there. There you go. My TC Central bias does not win the day. Yeah, I'm going to vote for Hunter Jones. Man, I can't wait to see what that kid does. And this way, we are, we can just talk about him and not have to like 
put him up on a pedestal again, and we can just be like, wow, and not have to uh, award him with anything else. What is that, nine awards in the first uh, race of the year, the most prestigious being, obviously, the newest member of the Get Around Hall of Fame. That's, so, he, that's actually the real motivation why he wanted to get down under 15. I should have asked him that when I talked to him. But congratulations, Hunter. We look forward to it. around. What's that? That's what I do like every day after school. <laughs> I get around the 5K course in 15 minutes or <laughs> less. Uh, so congratulations, Hunter. We look forward to hopefully seeing you break 14.30, getting down to that like, second fastest time in Four- state history. 14.10. You and I texted about it the other day. It's Dathan Ritzenheim in 2000 at the state finals. I was there. I saw him finish that race, and my jaw is still on the floor thinking about it. So 14.51 is the second fastest recorded time at the state finals, also by Rockford Runner. That's where Dathan Ritz and I won as well. I, I, I was supposed to see Hunter's got that in his Nine sights. Seconds, no He's way. got. I mean, if he isn't reading every biography on Dathan, Dathan Ritzenheim by now, I know I would because I'm sure he's thinking about 14.10. Almost every run he goes on, like one day I want a shot at that, and that's that's what lies before him. The immortal, the immortal time that yeah. I I don't I don't know if anybody else has ran faster than that in the entire country, maybe. But alrighty, fellas, you know what that means? It's time for our trifecta. So while we're our trifecta this week, while we're dreaming of being on the golf course, we get to be out on the Michigan Open on the Bear this week. Kind of reminiscent of, I mean, I've always wanted to play the Bear. Hopefully, got a chance hopefully that's not your answer. But. No, no, we'll do it at some point. But our trifecta today is if you could play one golf course in the world, where would it be? Just around, what would it be? And I, I'm taking, I know, I'm taking the easy answer, and you're not allowed to t- say Augusta. That's what I. That's what come I would on, everybody. It's not what I. Pro- it's not what I was going to take. Everybody wants to play Augusta. Though. It's not what I was going to take. What are you going to say? St Andrews. St Andrews. Hmm. I don't think I want to play that. because that round because that round of golf also involves a trip to Scotland. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I think I'm gonna go the wild card. I'm a wild card. I'm gonna go Kapalua over there in Hawaii. Ooh. Do a little Hawaiian golf. I mean, Ooh, next to the volcano. Yeah, like it also involves a trip outside the continental pre- U.S. Pretty easy to be miserable about a pl- over 100 score when you're in Hawaii. Or pretty easy to bounce back from shooting a miserable score of like over 100 I'm if sitting, you're in Hawaii. I, I'm sitting here and trying to think of the name of it. I'm not let you say if you're going out of the country. There's a there's a golf course in Dubai that is like set in the middle of the city. It's like white sand. Clear blue waters. It's all right. It looks basically like it's from like a video game. Mm-hmm. Well, I would like to play that. Even the one. There's one in Arizona that I always want to play in uh, X Golf. I can't remember what it's called, but I, I don't know. I would. Li- I would like to play the one that is that they, they they have the waste management open at. Um, the one in Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah. TPC Scottsdale. I would like yeah. to play that course. I okay. So there's two courses that you bring that up. Um, I've always wanted to play Pebble Beach because I just. You just I, want that shot at that par three seventh. Kind of, but I think I'm more. I think we, didn't, we, didn't we play Pebble Beach at the uh, TC Golf Center on the simulator? At X Golf one time. Yeah. No, at the uh, at TC Golf Center. Oh, I, I, mean, I probably there. probably no? at That's when I was there with you. I okay. probably did that. Yeah, so, I mean, we did. I think we did play. I Pebble probably Beach. said the same thing then. I really want to play Pebble Beach. I but I think it's just I'm obsessed with the idea of like having more than just like two holes bunked up against the water. Right, like, do you know how we 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 always chase? We go to like Manatee Country. It's basically, I'm pretty sure Arcadia Bluffs is a is a course like this. That I'm pretty sure Arcadia Bluffs has like four or five holes that are just like literally sprawled across yeah, the right water. Right next to the water, yeah. not just right next to it. Like they like you know what I'm saying to your right, to your left. The... Well, there's two or three of them that go right along. It. Exactly, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like your hazard is Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. You know, your right side hazard yep. is like I'm like right, obsessed. Windy. Even though it'd be terrible because I'd probably just put balls all over the place. I'm obsessed with playing around a golf like at a Pebble Beach where you're literally basically just on the beach playing golf. Uh, that's just the, the most popular one. 
Uh, but yeah, same well, thing no, with like Augusta the one. is probably the most popular. Well, I'm talking about on the beach is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like the most popular beach beachside course or whatever it would be probably Pebble Beach. All right, well, nothing, nothing too bad. Gotta remind you: make sure you like, share, comment, retweet this episode for your chance to win two free Jimmy John subs. We're starting that back up next week. Join our fantasy leagues. Email us at resports at record-eagle.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. It's at Harrison Beebe. That's it, right? It sure is. Yeah, just like it's just at Jake Adnip. But as we know, there are so many James Cooks in the world. There's a university named after him. And that's why he's at. get royalties from that? And that's why he's at James Cook 14 on Twitter. You should just walk up to the front door and be like, hi, I'm James Cook. Give me a diploma. Now that I think about it. Don't ask for a diploma. Just ask for an office. And then you always have a place a, to stay. I should be a professor. Wherever that is. Maybe we should make your Twitter handle into Roman Flag numerals staff. for the 14th. Because then we'll just start to make, you'll start to seem like you're royalty. James Cook the 14th. The monarch so of Twitter. Cook, 14 was just like, did you just, didn't you just go like 1 through 13 and they didn't work, so you made 14? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's why my email is yeah, James that, Cook 2. It must have been a long That tells day. you how, how early I got on Hotmail. <laughs> <laughs> he was a second James Cook. Is but, Hotmail still going? Yeah. Dude, my mom still has a net zero email. I don't even know what that I, is. A dial-up is that internet. Like computer? Yeah. Dial-up I, I, I know some people that still have AOL emails. Yeah, I mean, I still have an AOL email, but that's because of like my old, my old uh, AIM screen name that I used when I started playing fantasy football in 2006. So like, my fantasy football account signed up to like my old AOL email. I've never changed it because that's like, the only thing I have for all my fantasy stuff. So if I need it, I go there. Now we know. Now you know. And the less you know, the better. So we'll stop talking. Thanks for listening to episode 139 of the Get Around. We'll see you next week for episode 140.